Um, thank you again for coming. Welcome to, uh, to Harvest. Um, we're um, just uh, last, well, in, in December, finished up uh, one of our <laughs> discipleship classes, Harvest 201 um, class, um, to help us to grow in our maturity in Christ. And we had several people graduate through the course, and um, Hermanal Roselle, who uh, finished up, shared his testimony, and then um, moved down to Mexico, was our first one to share. And then today, um, Samina Shin is going to come, and she's going to share the work that God has done and the things that he's shown her and revealed to her during her time in the class. So let's welcome Samina as she comes to share with us. Hi, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Samina. I'm a washerwoman with two and a half kids, and we've now been attending Harvest for almost two years. When the announcement started for the class, I thought to myself that it would be a good idea to take the class, toward being a student. When it got down to actual sign-up time, I was far from the first to sign up. The reasons to not take it kept running around in my head. A few of the reasons were the length of the class, a whole 12 weeks, um, wondering who would watch the kids, would one parent uh, take it and one stay home, and of course the dreaded homework. Um, Although the issue of the kids was a valid one, what it really came down to was that I was being punished. I didn't want to take time away from my K-dramas and useless internet surfing and spend time with God. With our shepherds, Eugene and Joyce, urging Josh and I to take the class together and telling us that they would babysit our children each week pretty much took away the main excuse for not taking the class. After agonizing over it, I decided to bite the bullet and sign up anyway. In hindsight, that first class showed me just how important it was for me to be taking the class. The first question on the, the registration form asks, if you were to die today, do you have the assurance that you will be with God in heaven? I checked, not sure. Why was I not sure? I didn't know. I believe in God. I believe he is my Lord and Savior. And although far from perfect, I know my heart for God was there. Still, I just wasn't sure. The weeks passed, verses were memorized, and Bible summaries were done. And right about halfway through was my first memorable experience that will probably always stick with me. I was doing the Bible summary for John chapter 19, and as I read verse 30, which says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave, us, gave up his spirit. I found that I had uncontroll uncontrollable tears running down my cheeks. I know that pregnancy hormones added to my emotional state, but the feeling I had as I read that passage was that someone I knew and cared about had just died. I had read this before so many times, but never did it affect me like it did then. Doing the, the, the summaries prior had let me get to know Jesus more as the person, not just the one who died, died for me through Jesus' relationship. It wasn't just about learning about Jesus as a person, though. My knowledge about him had grown more and more, had, him had grown, but more importantly, the bond of my relationship with Christ had grown. I know real facts about him and about what it means to be a Christian. Simple basic things that I just didn't know before, and it showed me through God's word, verification about stuff I did know but wasn't sure about why or how. This gives me more confidence as a Christian, and, as I, and I find that as I go about my daily life, things we went over in class or read in the Bible pop up in my head. Am I now sinless and living out everything I learned in class? Absolutely not. My goal is to sin less and continue persevering in this fight. I can say that I would not... <laughs> that I would now check off the yes, that first question on the registration form without a doubt, and be eternally thankful that I was born a child of God. 
Harvest Tool will not only help me strengthen my relationship with God, but it also allowed me to get to know other members of Harvest who I had seen countless times before but never really talked to. With my house church meeting week after week, smaller groups, eating together, singing badly together, mm. and just learning together has helped me to be more comfortable with them and grow to love them. I enjoy getting to know people but never do well in large groups, and I rarely initiate a conversation. So these new friendships are great. If you're on the fence about taking the course with me, let me know. Please leave me behind, and you might find an answer to a question that you've been missing for life. Thank you, um, Sabrina, for sharing those wonderful testimonies of God's grace in, in your life. We, last week, if you were here, um, we introduced this uh, detox idea of um, how we can grow in our, in our health as followers of Jesus Christ um, through incorporating certain habits in our lives and Basically, three things that I talked about is we need to get rid of certain things in our lives. Um, we need to incorporate something in our lives, and then we need to do this together with other people, right? It's this idea of, of removal, of intake, and accountability, these three ideas. And as you know, we've gone throughout this week, I've been hearing from different people and hearing from groups of people about some of the commitments that they've made, and it's really encouraging to, to hear what some people have, have done. There have been a lot of people who have already begun um, giving up Facebook and Instagram, People are giving up YouTube and, and all kinds of social media. Um, some who are saying for um, through now until the end of detox, I'm not going shopping, which is huge for some people. Uh, some have given up online shopping. Others are committing to, to let go of, of pornography. Um, groups of people are getting together in, in groups of three, and they're having devotions each day. Uh, somehow they're doing it. I'm not exactly sure. High schoolers um, meeting together, sending out emails. How are we going? What are we going to do? What are we going to do together in order to become healthy? And and these are all encouraging things, and these are blessing things after um, an introduction. And I, I, I anticipated that there would be some movement in our hearts, and there would be some things that God is speaking to us. Um, and what I want to do for the next three weeks is, is take each of these three things and, and to just hammer them a little bit deeper to show why we need not just a removal of certain things, why we need like two out of these three things, but we need all of these things together in order for there to be a genuine change and transformation that happens in our lives. Now, a lot of us, like I said, have given up certain things. Uh, and what I want to encourage us today in as we talk about this idea of intake and what we need to intake into our lives, I, I want to show that it's not... I don't want to say it's not enough, but in a sense, to, to truly change, it's not enough just to say, I'm not going to do these things. Or I'm going to get rid of certain things in my life. There's got to be this aspect of, of intaking the word of God. So I'm going to read from Isaiah 55, and our main passage is going to be verses 10 through 13. But I think I need to set it in its context um, by talking about the, the beginning of the chapter. This Isaiah 55 was written, Isaiah was written, he was a prophet, prophet prophesying, Woo, hold on. prophesying to the people of God uh, 700 years before Jesus. Okay, so 700 years before Jesus, he began speaking these things. And it begins with an invitation in verse 1 of chapter 55. It says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. 
come by wine and milk without money and without cost. So as Isaiah's writing, this one, uh, one commentator named Danny Hall says, the way that he's writing, he's picturing a, uh, a marketplace in Jerusalem. If you've ever been to marketplace in Jerusalem, you'll know what he's talking about. But if you've never been, which I don't think any of us have, you can imagine almost like a, uh, one of those outdoor mar- or those indoor markets or those markets in foreign countries like in China or in the Dominican Republic or in Ecuador where really aggressive people are trying to sell things to you, right? They're all saying, come, come, come. If you can't imagine that, you can imagine the food court at Altamont Mall or at the mall at Millennia, right? As you walk in the food court, you've got all these people who are saying, try my chicken, try my chicken, right? Whether it's a Chinese place or Chick-fil-A or a chicken place, they're always giving you chicken for some reason. They're always like, try my chicken, come over here, come eat with us. And in the midst of all of this people calling you to come, there is an invitation in verse 1, where God's voice speaks and says, come to me. Amidst the cacophony of people calling you to come, there's one voice that rises above them all. He says, come, all who are, who, who are thirsty. Think thirst is the deepest human need that we all have. It is the one thing that all of us are desperate for, is to have that thirst quenched. He's saying, if you're thirsty, then come to me because I'm the only one who can satisfy that longing in your soul. And our response is, but you know what? I've got no money. I'm broke. I don't have anything to pay for it. And then he says the second thing, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Like you don't have to have anything to come. The price has already been paid. All you need to do is come. And then the third thing he says, come buy wine and milk. It's not just water that satisfies your soul, but it's wine and milk, it's sustenance, it's abundance, it's an overflowing sense of joy and life that you can have. And God is saying, all of these things are calling for you every morning. In the morning when you rise, your iPhone beckons you and says, check your email, check your Facebook, check your Instagram, what happened through the night? In the morning when you rise, CNN.com, FoxNews.com, MSNBC, all of these things, the New York Stock Exchange, Business Week, CNET, Gadget Weekly, whatever it is, these things are calling you in the morning when you rise. In the midst of all of these voices, God is saying, come to me. Because I will not only give you what you need, but I will over abundantly give you more than you could ever ask or imagine. That's what he says in verse 2. Why are you spending money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. So in verse 3, he's saying, this is what you need to drink of. Hey, why are you spending your money, your time, your resources, all of these things that don't matter? Are you wasting your life on all of these lesser things that call and beckon you to come? Does the one thing that you need come to me? He says, and there your soul will be satisfied. That's what you need. You don't need him. You don't need her. You don't need it. You don't need that. You don't need these. You need me. This is what God is saying. And it's the invitation that he offers to us. And he says, for those who are still thinking, and I I was uh, actually, our house church got an email from one of our people said, you know what? I know, I think I know what God is calling me to give up, but I don't want to give it up yet. Or I'm not, I'm not ready yet or something to that effect. And to those of us who feel like that, there's something in my life that I don't want to just, I don't want to jump on board quite yet. The invitation of verse two is why spend money on what does not satisfy? Why spend your time on things like this? 
that won't leave you happy. And then he goes on in verse 6. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Then go ahead and, you know, this is going to be the, probably one of the easiest times to do it when other people are doing it. And he's saying, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. Move towards him while you can, while you have the accountability, while people who are walking with you are doing this as well. Seek him while he may be found. Verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And as we begin to think the thoughts of God after him, and as some of us are giving these things up, you give up video games and you're giving up all the... I saw one person saying, you know what, I've given up my, my Instagram and these people commenting, people who don't go to our, our church saying, why would they do something like that? That's foolish. And oftentimes what we give up to the world, they're looking at it and saying, why are you doing that? Why are you giving up all of your Korean music? Why are you giving up your Korean dramas? Why are you stopping playing video games? Why are you spending time in the word of God instead of playing Dota with us? Why are you doing all of this stuff? And to them, it doesn't make any sense. But God is saying, my ways are not the ways of the world. My thoughts are higher above. And as we continue to detox, it's the invitation that God gives. And he says, your soul will be satisfied in a way that you've never been satisfied by anything that this world can offer to you. And then we come to verse 10. And this is where I want to focus, verses 10 through 13. Verse 10 says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. This is God's word. So what is, what is he saying here? Obviously, um, I wanna, I wanna, my, my thesis is we need the word of God in our lives. My hope is at the end of today that each of us would make a commitment to saying each day, I'm going to be in the word of God. At a certain time, I'm going to do this. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to seek him in his word. Two thoughts why this is important. The first thing is this. Um, God's word will always accomplish its purpose. God's word will always accomplish its purpose. He compares it to rain and snow that comes down from heaven and waters the earth and causes fruit and trees and grain to be grown. Anytime we say something, okay, anytime you say something, you're trying to accomplish a purpose, right? Anytime I say something to my wife, Olivia, I'm trying to accomplish something. So let's play a little game here. Because, you know, we say certain things, but we don't really mean what we say. We're trying to accomplish something. So let me, let me, let me play a little game here. This is a, a little bit of gender difference. If I, as a man, say to Olivia, I ask her this question, are you hungry? What do I mean? What do I really mean? It means, I'm hungry. Can you make me something to eat? When I ask, are you hungry? The purpose is, can you make me some food? Because I want to eat something. Right? That's pretty good. You guys got that. Here's another one. If we're shopping, which doesn't happen much, but we're shopping 
And I said, oh, that one looks beautiful. What do I really mean? Say, I don't care which one you choose. Get anyone. Let's go home. Right? That looks beautiful. That's the purpose I'm trying to accomplish. But if she doesn't agree with me, no, I don't think that. Then I'll say, okay, that one is beautiful. There's a purpose for which I'm trying to say these things. Same thing. Flip it the other way around. If she says, you know what? You need to learn to communicate better with me. What is she saying? Yeah, you just need to agree. You just need to agree with what I'm saying. That's what she means. And if she says something like, oh, it doesn't really matter where we eat. And what does she really mean? It doesn't really matter where we eat unless it's the place I've chosen, right? As long as it's the place that I've chosen. And when we say certain things, and we're trying to accomplish something with our words, but a lot of times we fail in our purpose. Hey, Manny, can you give this to Daddy? No, it didn't work. <laughs> my words are obviously not that powerful. But God is saying my word is different. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that comes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is powerful and always accomplishes its mission. And that's why, you know, some days I come to church Sunday morning and I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be a good message. I don't think, um, I don't think it's going to communicate. I don't think it's going to connect. I don't think people are going to understand what in the world I'm saying. But still, I can boldly, without fear and without shame and without embarrassment, stand up here and preach the word of God because of this promise that whenever the word of God is spoken, it will accomplish its purpose. Rain and snow fall down. A lot of times you don't see what it's doing, but give it time and you will see a lush green field of grass rise up where before there was nothing. You'll see trees begin to sprout up and fruit begin to be born on these trees when we never expected it to be done. You teach Sunday school class and you're wondering, is anything getting through to these people? And you wait a year, two years, three years, four years, and you'll see. There's this tree called the Chinese bamboo. I I don't exactly have the the details. You could look it up later. But uh, apparently you could water, 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 water. And after about four years, nothing. So people might be tempted to think there's nothing happening with that. But in the fifth year, it just sprouts up like 50 feet. And that's the power of the word of God. The rain and the snow fall down. And oftentimes it looks like nothing is happening, but you give it time and it will yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater. There's power in the word of God. That's why we need to get into the word of God. Amy Carmichael wrote this great little book called If. She says, one of the things that she says is the word of God is powerful, unlike any other book, which is nothing new to us. But the word of God is powerful, unlike any other. And she said, reading Christian books is good and helpful but never at the expense of the word of God. Why would you drink from streams that flow from the well when you can drink from the well yourself? Here's the point. I know a lot of us are doing things like our daily bread and we read Christian books and this is great. And actually throughout our detox program, we're going to be reading a devotional by John Piper. And these are great things. I keep doing those things, but do it in addition to your reading of the word of God. Because that's the power of God in our lives. There was a time when Spurgeon was preaching. He was prince of preachers, greatest preacher. Even now you can read his sermons. And even though it's not spoken, you're just reading it. There's a conviction that falls. You read Charles Spurgeon. 
But he was at this one venue where he was to preach that night, this auditorium, and he wanted to do a, a sound check. They didn't have microphones back in the 1800s. He just wanted to check out the acoustics. He stood up there and he quoted John 1.29. said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That was pretty good. And he walked out. Unbeknownst to him, there were these two non-Christian men working on the rafters in that auditorium. And one of them heard the word, that simple verse. And that night he gave his life to the Lord. Because the word of God is powerful. And it gives life. Right? Let what's dead come to life. We're here for you. It's the power of God's word as it soaks into our lives. I had a friend in college and he was going out and he would share the gospel with people and just cold turkey, go up to people and he would ask them, hey, can I share the good news with you? And he's sharing with the, he walked up to this one guy. He said, you have, a, you have a minute? I want to share the greatest news the world's ever heard. He said, I don't have time. He said, I, you have 30 seconds. He said, I've got 30 seconds. So 30 seconds, he just shared. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this guy stopped, he turned around, and he engaged in conversation. Within a few minutes, he prayed the sinner's prayer. Because as much as we can talk about all of these things, we bring the word of God out, there's power in the word of God to change. And it never returns to God empty, but accomplishes the purpose for which he sent it. It always, always accomplishes its purpose. Whenever we gather here, the word of God comes forth. And for some of you, it cleanses. For some of you, it convicts. For some of you, it heals. For some, it pronounces forgiveness. Some people in here, I say this, I, I say this sometimes to my, my preacher friends. I say, sometimes we come in here and there's a message that is spoken and one person, their life is changed through one message. But I think the, a, a lot of the time, the majority of the time, it's like we come in here looking for strength just for the week to come. And we get a word that will fill us and give us strength so that we make it through the week and we come back next week just desperately needing more. But that word that was given on Sunday carried them and strengthened them and empowered them and gave them the sustenance that they need in order to get through the week. And as they spend time with God each day, finding strength in the word of God, knowing that the word of God is powerful and it is mighty to save. There's power in the word of God. I think about our lives. Is there a lack of fruit in us? Is there a lack of, of, of lushness, a lack of life, of vitality? Isaiah would say the most probable reason is that we've become detached from the life-giving source of life, which is the word of God that comes down from heaven into our lives. And we, if, you, if you've ever been changed by the word of God, you know the power of the word of God. And our enemy knows the power of the word of God, too. You recognize that the very first temptation in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't just a fruit. It was when Satan said to Adam and Eve, did God really say, don't eat of it? The first temptation was a calling into question the life-giving, life-changing, life-enhancing power of the word of God. And he continues to use that plan today. Anything to get us away from the word of God. And he throws all kinds of things at us to get us away from his word. D.L. Moody said, sin will always keep you from this book. But here's the power of the word of God. This book will always keep you from sin. Have you been faithful in the word and reading the word of God? You will see that the vice grip of sin on your life is beginning to slip. But if you've been straying from the word of God, you probably also begin to realize that you're giving in a lot more easily to the temptations of your flesh. 
And it's not, I mean, we can make excuses. This is old, it's outdated, it's, it's countercultural, all of these things. But at the end of the day, this is the God-appointed means for change and transformation in our lives. You know, John Ortberg, great preacher, author in California, says the main reason why people today don't read the word is because we think it's boring. You know who, who doesn't think the word of God is boring? I'll tell you that the Greek language, ancient languages, didn't have a word for boring. Did you know that? This is an English word that only came into existence some three, 400 years ago. Because people up until 1600 or so never said, we're bored. And we hear this all the time, don't we, in our culture today? I'm so bored. Like sometimes I'll go on Facebook and I'll read people say, I'm so bored. Someone do something with me. And I think to myself, how in the world can we be so bored? We've got the internet. We've got 250 channels on TV. And if there's nothing to watch on there, then we can watch it on demand. We can watch something online. We've got friends. We've got, all the, we've got a world to play. And we live in Orlando. It's America's playground. All of these things to do. And yet we say we're bored. And part of, the, part of the issue with our boredom with the word of God is because we've got all of these things floating around, like high energy, high power, that to sit still with the word of God that can genuinely transform our lives and give us life and power and conviction to live the Christian life, of course, becomes boring to us. But Ortberg is saying things like when the Old Testament people, when they read the genealogy, right, which is like death to us, it's like our insomniac cure. When we read the genealogy, we're like, what in the world is this? But to them, they're like, this is so exciting. They loved reading it. Why? Because they realized that they were connected to a lineage far greater than themselves. That this Christian faith, it wasn't known the Christian faith, but the Christian faith has been propagated throughout the generations and they're not alone. And they would memorize their ancestors and they would make it into a game and it was never a bore for them. And the reason why we're calling each other to detox is because we think that this life-giving, man, this is, I used to tell people, quoting Chris, I used to say, I get high on this book because this is like a drug to me. Like, this is life-giving. Sometimes when I just hold this, the, the Bible, I get so excited. That's why I, I, I get weirded out when people just read it on the screen or they read it on their, on their phones or something. Like, I love to, to look at the, the words, and some of these are, are red letters, and some of there's underlying, and just to hear the page is so exciting to me. It's life-giving. And so it, it's confusing to me when people say it's boring, and, and there's all of these other things that are more important than the Word of God. But that's why we're detoxing. A couple of our college students, at least a couple of them, one of them told me that their first thing in the morning is that they, they grab their phone and they, they, they want to check all the things that have going on, but they've decided we're going to give that up and I'm going to spend time in the word of God before anything else. I thought, what a great, that's, a, that's, an, that's an awesome thing to do. And I'm pretty sure that if we do this consistently, regularly, honestly, wholeheartedly, there, there's going to be a change. There's going to be fruit at the end. Well, come Easter time, it's going to be radical. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be lush. And our worship service is going to be full of life because it's not people who are just barely struggling on life support, needing their, what is this called? The, um, yeah, um, it, we don't need those things, but we've got life and we're feeding on the word of God and we come in and we're celebrating together. 
life on life and power and worship rising up, that this isn't the best worship service of the week, but every day when we worship God, it's like life is being found in Christ and then we share that life together here. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. God's word is powerful. It always accomplishes its purpose. And so he invites us to come and to eat of the life-giving word. The second thing, and this is the last, there's two points here. The second thing that I want to say about God's word is that it is the only way to joyful and lasting transformation. Let me ask you something. You ever um, been frustrated in your life because you said, I'm going to do this for God? Right? I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I'm going to stop engaging in this habit. I'm going to change my ways and I'm going to become a different person. I'm going to let go of these things that uh, war against my soul. I'm going to be patient with my parents. I'm going to not beat up my brother after I come back from the retreat. All these things are going to be different about my life. You ever been frustrated that that can only last like a week or two weeks? And then by the 15th day, you're like pounding on your brother. You're like, dang it, I shouldn't have done that. Verse 12, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Here's what he's saying. When the word of God gets into you, the first thing that happens is that it leads us into worship and it leads us into joy. Hey, check this out, y'all. The word of God was never meant to be an end in itself. Okay, I did my Bible time and so I'll check it off. That's it, I did it. Or I read the Bible and I see, oh, I can memorize Isaiah 55. Four times in this verse it says the word come. Right? The most times in any verse that it says it. It's never meant to be a, a, an end in itself. It's always a means to the end of worship. This is how you know that you're getting the word of God in your heart. This is how you know that the word of God is soaking in and sinking in. It's when our hearts at the end of the time are moved to worship God. I, I love what Samina was saying when she said, as I was reading the gospel of John, I got to know this person, Jesus, in such a way that he personally became real to me so that I began to shed tears because this man that I knew, this savior, my friend, was dying on the cross. That the word of God was meant for us to encounter the risen Lord Jesus. The purpose of every, every reading of scripture, every devotional time, every sermon is that we would have an engagement, an encounter, a meeting, an experience with the person of Jesus Christ and then be led into worship. Because when we worship, there we are changed. You know that no one who's ever encountered Jesus, ever encountered God <clears throat> in his word, could ever leave that encounter the same person. Always worship leads to transformation. This is what it says. Instead of the thorn bush, imagine you've got a little thorn bush. You plant a thorn bush and you water it. What would you expect to come out? A thorn bush. You plant some briars. I don't even, I don't even know if you don't. 
I don't even know if you plant briars, but he says you plant a briar tree or a bush, whatever it is. You water that. What do you expect to come out? Briars. He says instead of the thorn bush, we'll grow a pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. I don't even know what these things are, so I had to Google them. And these are signs of love and signs of beauty and signs of life. Out of the myrtle comes oil. That is a blessing to many people. Where there once was thorny, prickly, mean, dirty, hurt other people. The word of God comes in and there's a complete transformation. So that there's healing, there's love, there's life giving. Here, let me just, let me just, I'll give you the punchline here. Here's my point as we go through this detox. We cannot change for good apart from the word of God. That's it. That's it. We can do all the the taking away of all of these things that we want to do, but unless we're in the life-giving word of God, we're not going to be changed for good. It can be a 40-day detox, and that's it. We're going to go right back into the habits that we used to go into. And that's not what we want. That's not what you want. That's not what God wants. We want the kind of lasting transformation that says at the end that will be for the Lord's renown and everlasting sign so that people can see your life and they can see that you've been transformed. So that people who said, why are they giving up Facebook? Why are they giving up Instagram? They can see at the end of 40 days, at the end of Easter, man, their life is different. It's not just about willpower and trying to fight and and strain so that I won't do these things. We're not trying to create nomads and monks and ascetics out of us. People who separate from society. That's not what we're trying to do. Not trying to make you guys Amish. Oh, we're anti-technology. We're not. That's not the point. The point is that these things could be let go of so that we could love Jesus, so that we could be transformed, so that in the morning when I rise, it's not all these things that call out to me that I want, but we say, just give me Jesus. He's the one that I want. He's the only one that I want. But that's what we're trying to do here. And that is impossible apart from the word of God invading and penetrating and soaking and staining every part of our hearts. So that at the end, briars become myrtles and thorn bushes become pine trees that give life to other people. You want to be changed? Are you impatient, angry, bitter, toxic? People don't want to be around you. As the word of God comes and falls like water and snow, soaking into your life, the word of God brings transformation so that you become an agent of healing. Your lips will give life to other people. Your words, instead of hurting and killing and destroying, end up giving life, lifting up, blessing. Instead of fear, it gives way to courage and boldness to be able to speak into the lives of other people. Instead of pessimism and and despair and doubt all the time, there's hope. There's life, there's joy, there's a sense of purpose and vision, and let's go for it. Instead of being Debbie Downer, Dougie Downer, you became the person who gives hope and encouragement to other people. The power of the word of God in our lives. Last week as I was in Houston, there's six of us pastors gathered together. We would go out to eat. First meal we went to, this upscale sushi place sat down the seven course meal like what the what is this stuff like this a moose bouche like little what is it called daikon with all this like little bite size look like a little sugar cube 
I ate it. I was like, oh, a party in my mouth. I like it. Second course comes out. There's like some kind of a steak, like a little filet wrapped around this little thing of avocado. Heavenly. Just a flavor explosion. How in the world can these two flavors get together? And it did. And I was oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Third course comes out, scallops and other stuff. Oh, delicious. Fourth course comes out. It's this Alaskan cod. Oh, my goodness. Fifth plate was this called pate. I don't even know what it was, but I ate it. It was good. Sashimi and sushi and all these things coming out, rolls. And then at the end, this mochi ice cream. Oh, so good. At the end of this meal, the server comes. He said, Tony, the owner, he took care of everything. Did everything? What about the tip? Oh, tip included. You don't have to pay anything. He paid for it all. Oh, my gosh. I went to sleep happy that night. The next morning, woke up, smiling, thanking Jesus still. Eat breakfast. We go out to eat lunch at this place called Burger Tex. Amazing. Line out the door. Bulgogi Burger. Like, oh, my gosh. So good. They're like, go ahead. Order whatever you want. The owners have already paid for it. Really? I'll have a, a number one and a two and a three. I was just kidding. Didn't do that. Got it. Delicious. What was, the, what was the meal that night? I forget what it was. I'm sure it was good. But the, the, the best one, the best one, the last meal before we went to the airport. This was delicious. It, it, I don't know why it's called K-pop, but that was the name of the place. It was K-pop. It was a buffet. Real upscale, fine dining. Looked really nice. One side was beautiful sushi, sashimi, just amazing stuff. All these like creative rolls. They had crawfish rolls and stuff like that. Sweet. The other section, they had actual like Cajun crawfish, right? Not the Chinese restaurant kind, but they were like good and big and delicious because they, you know, Cajun people, they eat a lot of that in Houston. They have uh, one of the church outreaches crawfish boil and they have like hundreds of pounds of crawfish. You just dump it out on newspapers, you eat it and this big outreach event. Crawfish, delicious. Another section, there's Korean meat. It's like samgyeopsal and uh, with like pork bellies and and. Um, other kinds of pork and, and galbi beef ribs and like man amazing lettuce and the stuff you dip the lettuce in that smells like nasty but you, it still tastes like heaven and you get all this stuff and then on the far end well in the middle they've got lamia noodles and you get to you get to put your own whatever you want in there I'm just giving you guys ideas for what to eat for lunch and then at the at the very end Brazilian barbecue like what in the world like who does this kind of stuff. They had my favorite, picanha, which is like the house special sirloin, like Brazilian. Oh, my God. I was like, when do we have to go to the airport? And we just like kept on eating and eating and eating. I didn't want to leave. So good. And at the end, we get up to leave, go to the counter. Like, oh, you know what? Someone's already paid for it. So good. Thank you, Jesus, indeed. Oh, my gosh. Wonderful flight back home, just savoring and thinking about it. I thought about this for a second. What an amazing thing it is that all of these things have been paid for. The two questions I asked then, if someone were to say this, like every meal that you could ever eat has already been paid for. Not it's free, but it's already been paid for. I know it's, it's basically the same thing, but someone says it's free. I don't want to take it sometimes, you know? Oh, it's free, just take it. I feel kind of bad. Unless they're not looking, then I might take like a bunch of them. But if they're standing there, I don't want to take it. But if they say, I've already paid for it, I say, well, I have to eat it. Because if I don't eat it, then it's a waste. 
And so, Isaiah 55 begins with this great invitation. All of these people saying, come, come to us, come here, come eat, eat this, eat that, eat this website, eat this relationship, eat this habit, eat all of these things up, eat this sin. And they say, oh, and at the end, after you eat it, it says, you got to pay me for it. You got to pay me for it. And you know what? If you don't pay me, I'm going to make you pay. And as soon as you pay me, I'm going to make you keep on buying more. But there's one who says, come and eat. Come and eat this seven-course meal. Come and eat this buffet. And at the end of it all, you will hear, it's already been paid for. And the question is, who paid for me? Who paid for you? Isaiah 55 flows out of a section in Isaiah that begins with chapter 53. Chapter 55 talks about the invitation. Chapter 54 talks about part of the transformation where a busted, unfaithful bride has been restored into a right relationship. It talks about how this devastated, destroyed city, his walls have been rebuilt up. And all of this flowing out of Isaiah chapter 53 I'm just going to read Isaiah 53, and then we're going to end. This is who has paid for our invitation. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And the Lord, and though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, 
and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Who has paid for all this, my friends? It's Jesus Christ. Let's just stop from what we're doing. You don't don't need to clean up your stuff. Just stop for a second and, and let's just reflect on the word of God, okay? That Jesus paid everything for you. He paid the price that we owed. And because of that, he can say, come and buy without money, without food, without cost. He's already paid for it. And if we don't go to him, then it's a waste of the payment of Christ. And yet if we do go, then the promise is that our soul will be so deeply satisfied with an overabundance. Each morning, voices will call to you and say, choose me this day. Choose this lover. Choose this infatuation. Choose this hobby. Choose this time-consuming activity. The purpose of the word of God that each new day, again, we will choose. There is no one else for me. None but Jesus. So if you feel the Lord's conviction in your heart, I want to ask that you would just pray a prayer of commitment. Saying, Lord God, I look at my life and there's a lot of weeds, a lot of thorns, a lot of brokenness, not much fruit, not much lusciousness. But I know the power of your word can make beautiful things out of me. I know I need you and I know I need the word of God. That means getting back on track with Bible time. Then let's do that. Let's make a commitment. Let's make a commitment to say, God, Every day, I want to spend time with you. I may not see it for that day. I might not see it after a week, but maybe after four weeks, maybe after a month, maybe after four months, maybe after a year, people will begin to realize something so different, so beautiful in my life. We cannot change apart from the word of God. Let's pray as we respond to his word. Let's be as specific as we can so that when the time comes, we will know the commitment that we made to the Lord. Let's pray together for a minute, and then we'll continue in our worship. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that today's word will not return to you empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. That it will provide seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Thank you that amidst all the people who are here today, your word will come and give life and bear fruit and bring the transformation that only your word can do. We thank you so much for speaking to us through your word now and for speaking to us always through your powerful, holy, life-giving, life-changing, life-transforming, personal to us word of God. Would you allow it to continue to speak in us for the renown of your name, for the blessing and joy of our lives, and for the testimony that we will proclaim to those around. Thank you so much. Pray all these things in Jesus' name.